Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore. And the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touched by Kalach. Rickson's corner kick. Celta couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Kale goes to Spitzenko. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again. Good to have your company for episode 48 of Shim, Spider, and so much more, our penultimate show of the season. And we have our final guest of the current run in Ufuk Talay to come a little later. We'll also look back on the weekend's A-League semifinals and ahead to the big one next week as Sydney FC uh, look to win an unprecedented third consecutive grand final against Premier's Melbourne City. All in the company of our two boys from the golden generation, Jelko Kalatz and Craig Moore. How are you, boys? Hello, boys. I'm well. <laughs> How are you, Maury? Enjoying the Euros? Yeah, no, it's been, look, it's been interesting, Simon, hasn't it? There's, I think there's um, there's actually quite a few teams, you know, four or five teams, I think, that mm. have, have looked decent with a, with a really good opportunity, I think, to go on and win the tournament. Despite the Italians have been unbelievable. Um, Belgium have been impressive. Um, Ah, so it's an interesting tournament, a really but, interesting tournament, but good games. But but Croatia haven't been impressive, Spider, where you're living at the moment. What's been the reaction over there? Uh, mate, we, we sort of, everyone expected it, to be honest with you. I, I don't know why the euphoria around Croatia uh, is not great for this Euros. Uh, and I, we spoke about it. The, the last six months, they've not been great. They really haven't been great, and they've taken it into the into the Euros. They lack a striker. They don't have a goal scorer, and we know in big big matches you need a goal scorer. They just don't have it. Okay, thanks, boys. We'll uh, discuss the Euros in more detail a little bit later on in the show in London calling. But uh, let's get straight into it with hard talk. Hard talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide via either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. 
Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, then please go to streamgates.com.au or you can find them on Instagram. Well, boys, let's uh, start our wrap with uh, the A-League semi-finals. Uh, Sydney FC on Saturday through to a third consecutive end-of-season finale uh, and a chance to create a bit of history. What did you make of their win over Adelaide United? Look, I, I think it was uh, it was comfortable, Simon, although the, the goal from Juan, the, uh, you know, towards the, the back end of the game makes it... Um, a little bit more nervous in terms of the way that the game then finishes off. But, you know, I think that the, the first part, the first half in particular, Adelaide, Adelaide had some chances, but Sydney are just clinical, you know, with Bobo and Lafondre, you know, players, although Lafondre misses a penalty as well, which probably puts the game to bed. Um, but even Sydney FC without, um, you know, some of their, their main players still look as if they've got that squad. Uh, Spider, I don't think any surprises your end either. We felt that Sydney would get to the grand final and kind of that's what that's what's happened, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're, they're showing their experience, Maury. Um, you know, we spoke about it halfway through through the competition. You know, we kept on talking about, don't worry, Sydney will be fine. Mate, they've got big-name players. They've got experienced players. And, Maury, we all know what it's like. Sometimes, you know, when you win, it becomes a habit. And now the semis are on, the finals are on, the big players rise. And they're just a very, very good side. Um, Adelaide, great season. Fantastic yeah. season. Uh, they'll be disappointed to go out, obviously, like anyone. Yeah. Uh, but Carl Viet and his coaching staff, Ross Aloisi, Eugene Galekovic, and all the players, they've done, they've done a great job for Adelaide United. And they'll build on that. VAR with uh, two big decisions involved heavily in the outcome. Uh, right decisions for you? Yeah, I, I think Me, they were yes. right. Yeah, I think they were right as well. Mm. Uh, I think the the first one um, was, was it Barbarusas or Lafondre that gets Barbarusas. Barbarusas. He definitely gets a touch at them, bounces under the keeper and back out the other side. He gets brought down. It's a penalty. Uh, right mm. decision. The second one, uh, Barbarusas again, obviously. Um, I didn't get all the replays of the of the, the the offside night sort of stuff, but obviously for the penalty to be given, he was he was deemed to be onside, and I can see why it was a penalty. So I, I think there were two right decisions. Um, much was made of of Sydney's uh, Socceroo absentees, Redmayne, Grant, McGowan, uh, and understandably so. But but how much did the Reds miss Craig Goodwin, who of course missed out through injury? Yeah, massive player, important player for, for Adelaide United. That's that's for sure. And they, they missed him. Uh, but, you know, every team at the moment is struggling with players away. Now, Goodwin, as we all know, is a very, very good player in the A-League. Could he have made a difference in that match? Probably would have made a difference. But I still think Sydney would have gone on and won the match because they have more experience. And they, you know what the key to Sydney is now? compared to halfway through the season, they got LaFondra and Bobo. Mm. They were missing chances for fun during the season. Everyone was, geez, Sydney's gone. They're not gone. They were still creating. Now they've got two goal scorers that can actually finish and do what Sydney do best and clinically finish off matches. Right. See on that, and Simon, Vincent, know your thoughts as well. So do you think that for Sydney FC, 
um, Lafondre and Bobo was was part of a plan, or it was it, it was a little bit of luck with that in terms of re, uh, recruiting players that they know has it have a history at the football club. Do you think it was part of a plan? I think they got lucky, Simon. Um, I don't know whether you could say that they planned to bring them both back because how did how could they know at the start of the season? Although there was talk about Lafondre maybe coming back after his stint in the. The Indian in Super it, League, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously, if you if we remember, um, Lafondre was actually brought in to replace Babo. And I remember when they signed them both, thinking, "Oh, that's going to be interesting. How <laughs> they're going to play both, and where where does Costa yeah. Barbarossa fit into all that?" But I guess yeah. you can never have too many good attacking players. And uh, Costa Barbarossa has been moved out wide. And uh, the two of them seem to work very well in tandem. In fact, you know, Babo is your classic sort of number nine, isn't he, really? Whereas Lafondra can play off the nine um, yeah, yeah, and, sure. and create yeah. and make those runs in behind as well. So, yeah, it's, it's worked out very well for them. And obviously, they're mm-hmm. two players that they, they know very well and they trust them and they deliver. And they did <laughs> again at the weekend. And it was great play. recruiting. It was great recruiting. They, they they changed where you could bring players in, like, what was it, two or three weeks out of the semifinals because, mm-hmm. you know, players were going away. And it was yeah. just great recruiting by Sydney FC. And yeah. the reality is, Maury, they must have had a great report with the club because I guarantee yeah. you, Lafondra and Bobo have not come back for the money that they deserve to be on. They've come yeah. back as a, as a gratis, really. Yeah. No, you, you're spot on, and it's a really, really good point to, to make, Spider, because um, these players end up back at Sydney FC, whether it was planned, whether it was a little bit of luck, but the way that you treat your players when they're at your football club, um, if, if you do that in the correct manner, which Sydney FC obviously have done, and then you do have that opportunity to get these type of players coming back, and as we've just touched on there, the impact that they've made yet again, um, another grand final, so there's every possibility they'll go on and, and, and score goals and potentially win that as well. They've struck a formula, yeah. haven't they, Sydney FC? And they've stuck to it. Um, and three consecutive grand finals. I think it's now five in the last six seasons. Seven. Which in a, in a, yeah. is it, right? Yeah. And, you know, in a salary cap competition, that's extraordinary, really. So congratulations to Sydney FC. Um, just one more on that. Uh, a report that Sydney fans reportedly let off fireworks at three o'clock on Saturday morning outside Adelaide's hotel. The response to that has been a bit mixed. People saying, oh, you know, that's cringeworthy and, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, we're Australia and all this sort of thing. But I don't know. I sort of rate that. I like it. I, I like it. I like it, Spider. You know what it was like when we were in there, Montevideo, uh, mate, where it didn't stop all night. They're out singing and partying, and hey, it's it's part of it's part of the sport. You know, it's like your, your fans are still trying to get a an advantage for the team the following day, mate. Yeah, that's hey, football, mate. As long as, as, long as nobody gets hurt, and, and yeah. no rules are broken. Yeah, that mate. I tell you, it reminded me. I had a giggle to myself because we played Napoli <laughs> one year with with, with Milan. Mate, they made that much noise at the front of the hotel. They were banging drums, mate. They were singing. And the cops did not care less. You know what the result finished? Yeah, we got pumped. 3-0. A <laughs> Good story. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, the other semi-final. Melbourne City uh, winning through to their second consecutive grand final, defeating MacArthur by two goals to nil. Uh, first of all, of course, th- this game was switched to Sydney um, because of the issues with the, the coronavirus. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Was that the right decision by the APL? I know that 
you know, they're between a rock and a hard place sometimes with with this pandemic. But Melbourne City, I think you could sense as a club felt quite aggrieved by that. And their supporters, of course, were absolutely incensed that it was essentially a home game for MacArthur. Yeah, and rightly so. For me, look, I, I don't understand a lot of the decisions made, to be honest with you. Um, like, I know Victoria's having a bit of problems with, with COVID, but the regional parts of Victoria were open. There was there was possibilities for Melbourne City to play in Victoria. Now, I don't know the geography of uh, Victoria that well, but I'm sure there was a stadium available to hold four or 5,000 people because that's all they would have got to the game. Mm. And Melbourne City, as the, the premiers, had to travel interstate. It, it was an away game and it was a home game for MacArthur. So definitely heartfelt. Uh, look, they deserve to be in the grand final, Melbourne City. 100% deserve to be in the grand final. So they can't now complain that, that they have, now they've got to worry whether they get a home grand final or whether it's going to be in Sydney again. Well, that's the next question, isn't it? Um, you know, Where's where the grand played final played? Go on, Maury. I'm saying, there was, did Greg O'Rourke say, or did I see something that I, I think, you know, potentially they were talking about the game being, being at Amy? But again, I'm not up to date with all the... Hmm. Um, well, I think, I think they want to do. I think they they want to uh, take the game to Amy Park because uh, obviously Melbourne City have, have earned that right to host the grand final. Uh, yeah. Greg O'Rourke did say that they they would try everything to to get the game down to Melbourne. Um, look, in the end, it may may not be possible. Um, I don't know, but yeah, you, you would certainly sympathise for Melbourne City and their supporters having earned the right to host a grand final after all these years. And then it would be, uh, it could be taken away from them uh, for no reason, no fault of their own. Go on, Spider. Yeah, yeah. And the game itself was such a cliche where moments change matches. Maury, it was insane. MacArthur had three unbelievable chances, like 30, 32, and 33 minute to go one goal up. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, with that experience that MacArthur had, had they led in that match, Melbourne City were in yeah. big, big trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they had, they had the chance where is it Mbamba went round the goalkeeper. Mm. Yep. Got it, got it cleared off the line. Franich, Franich had that that unbelievable strike from 25, 30 yards off the, the crossbar. Um, yeah. And then there was another corner that was flicked across that uh, he didn't, I don't know who it was, someone slid in and he didn't have a clear connection. Like they had three unbelievable chances. Uh, but Spides as well. And then you're talking about uh, yeah, chances, moments, goals, change games. And then when, when, when City get this, mate, bang. bang. And then off the kickoff yep. again, bang. I mean, yep. <laughs> if, that does, if that doesn't knock the stuff out of you, then, mate, I don't know what does. But in the end, yep. City, they, they, had to, they had to travel. Um, you would have thought that potentially more would have been done for, uh, you know, for the, the, the minor premiers. But... They still went and got their result, and hopefully they can get their grand, grand final at home. Amy Park would be nice for them. I actually, actually thought that this performance by Melbourne City was one of their best because they were without five key players. They had three Socceroos, Jamie McLaren, Curtis Good, and Connor Metcalf, who we knew were going to be missing. Andrew Naboots and Craig Noon were also out as well. And this was a day when the kids stood up. 
Stefan Kolakowski and Marco Tilio with the goals, but yeah. it, it seemed to signify for me, and we've talked about this a lot in the past about Melbourne City, a shift in their mentality. And Scott Jamison alluded to this spider after. I want to ask you this because you work there. Scott Jamison actually praised, and he's done this all season, Warren Joyce for the for the change in mentality. Uh, and he said, look, I know people didn't particularly like the football that Warren Joyce played, but he instilled in us uh, something a little bit different that perhaps we've been missing all these years. And that's that, you know, winning mentality to, to ride things out when, when the going gets a bit tougher. Is that fair? You worked there during those, uh, yeah. during those times? Yeah, Joyce instilled hard work. He demanded it. He demanded hard work. And uh, Melbourne City had always had a name for being like a, a bit of a soft club. And Joycey demanded every day to come in and work hard, give 100%. And it continued. And a lot of these young players were in the youth setup at that time. And it's continued with, uh, look, Paddy Kaznorbo has been there for a long time. Uh, Mombert was there. He's done a fantastic job at Melbourne City and they've just carried it on but I tell you who's made the biggest difference mate Jamo can talk all he wants but the senior players are the ones that have had to buy in to what Melbourne City is doing and they're the ones now that their skin folds are good that they're not overweight that they can run they can repeat sprint that's called hard work that's called being a professional footballer and when you do that day in and day out you get success Melbourne City now are getting the hard work that, yeah, Joycey probably instilled and has now carried on in the next two, three years. And uh, congratulations to everyone at uh, Melbourne City and particularly uh, Paddy Kisnorbo, of course, is, is through to his uh, first grand final in his inaugural year as coach. Uh, congratulations too to Mark Milligan. Fantastic career. Uh, that was obviously the end of his playing days. He will remain on the staff at uh, MacArthur. For me, one of the most underrated uh, Socceroos of the golden generation. He almost seemed to get forgotten a little bit because he wasn't, you know, a Tim Cahill. He wasn't a, a Lucas Neal. He wasn't a Harry Kuehl or a Mark Baduka or even, dare I say it, a Craig Moore or a Zelko Kalatz. Um, but he was he was a terrific footballer and a, and a sensational career. So well done to Millsy. Um, talking of uh, the Socceroos, uh, they've wrapped up qualification since we last spoke, boys, for the final round of uh, Asian qualifying. Uh, 1-0 win over Jordan in their final game. Overall, how confident are you that this team will qualify for Qatar in 2022? Because, of course, in the final round, about to come up against the regional heavyweights, maybe Japan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. Uh, Arnie says he wants Iran, by the way, to fix 1997. Um, but but what's, what are your thoughts on on where we're at? Be careful what you wish for, Simon. <laughs> uh, like you, you know, look, you start. You're right. We go into this next stage, uh, and the, the the bigger, the, you know, the bigger countries, and you know, ones where we know is going to be a, a real test, and um, you know, that, that's always difficult because the region is improving continually. Um, I, I've been really happy and impressed with the this this last batch of games. I think, like I says, with the work that that Arnie's done in terms of so it's kind of a new look squad now. They're, you know, it looks as if it's been regenerated. Uh, some other players coming in now, younger players, with the balance of the experience. Um, it's something that we we needed. 
Um, but at the same time, when you get to that next stage, um, look, I think we do have a good chance, but you've got to be, you've got to be your best. Yeah, you know, mm. we, we, we'll get to a level where you can't afford to make the mistakes um, because they will be punished. And the margins um, at this next stage will be a lot tighter than what, what we've seen in the recent matches. No doubt. Um, Spider, the Matildas still waiting for a first win under Tony Gustafsson, but uh, they did at least get a draw against Sweden in their latest hit out. That's a team that they will face in the group in Tokyo at the Olympics after conceding three goals in three matches. Uh, that result has got to be a step in the right direction, I guess, for, for the national team. Yeah, look, and his whole preparation would be towards the Olympics. There's no doubt about it. So he'll be... Uh, his main goal will be the Olympics. So, you know, we don't know what they're doing there. Are they training hard? Is he making them train under, you know, I don't know, under pressure, going in the matches, tired, playing fatigued? That would be all in his preparation for the Olympics more, you know? Well, yeah, but what do you, what do you think, I mean, in terms of normally, uh, in terms of preparation games, in terms of potentially, you know, the Sweden... Uh, are in their their group like Spider? That's a, and Simon. That's a little bit unusual in terms of you. You have a preparation yeah. game against a team that you're actually going to be competing against. And I believe that probably there was maybe an agreement in place uh, between the Matildas and and the Swedish national team in terms of maybe not playing their strongest 11s. And then you're thinking, well, what, what's the point of it? You know, that's a game. That's a that's a preparation match. The only um, reason the only reason I can think, Maury, is that in this in the time of a global pandemic, you know, maybe there aren't the options available to play, um, you know, too many different national teams. They played the Germans, they played the Netherlands. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you can't at the moment. They're, they're operating with a European-based squad, so they're probably not able to go to Asia or, you know, play teams from South America because of the situation over there as well. So maybe this was, you know, virtually their only option. And it was a case of, um, you know, let, let's just have a game. And both nations maybe agreed. I, d I don't know what the, what the reason was. But, yeah, um, it was a strange one for me yeah. as well. Yeah, to, yeah. To, strange. To think, to think they were playing someone. Mm -hmm. But as you said, like, it is a global pandemic, mate. All, all things go at the moment. Yeah. Um, just on the Socceroos and Matildas, before we move back to uh, Clubland, of course, again, since we last spoke, the TV deal has been announced for the national teams and various other uh, AFC rights. That's going to be on Channel 10 and Paramount Plus as well, along with the A-League and W-League. That, that's got to be good for the game in this country, hasn't it? Having, having it all in one spot. Brilliant. Amazing. Simple as that, okay. right? <laughs> I think it is. Look, it's we've been, and I'm saying as simple as that because we've yeah. we've been pushing, we've been pushing that hmm. for, for for months. So that it's actually happened, Simon. I think is is unbelievable for for the game in Australia. I think it's fantastic also to, um, you know, for the for the fan base and all that sort of stuff to make it a seamless uh, interaction to to be able to go onto that one platform. I think I just think it's really. Um, a great opportunity now to to really grow the game. So really pleased with it. Yeah, I think everybody would agree that um, it, it's the last thing you want is having all the different strands of football on four, five, six different services and having to pay uh, fees for all of them. So I think this is a win for the game as well. Um, before we uh, move to the Euros in London calling, uh, just some news in Clubland over in Europe. 
Um, Matthew Ryan, I don't know if you know anything about this one, Maury, uh, reports in the papers in the UK that he might be on his way to join, uh, sorry, to join the <clears throat> Ange Postacoglu revolution at Celtic. Yeah, I don't think so. I no? don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put that one to bed. Because look, I mean, the, the, the Greek goalkeeper that, that Celtic have, have got, which they, you know, they spent a bit of money on, five, five and a half million. Um, I, I think he probably wasn't, um, or hadn't had the, the best opportunity, nice sort of stuff. And I just feel that he'll probably, he'll probably get that opportunity, opportunity under Ange uh, to say that Matty Ryan at this moment today um, is, a, is a likely candidate for, for Celtic. I would say no today. Who knows, four, six weeks. But at that stage... Matty Ryan would also like to secure his future. Yeah. As the, as the, I, I, sorry, go on. Matty's got panels on that point, mate. I, I'd be chasing Matty all day long. Uh, but me and Maury have spoken off. I was going to say, we spoke off air about it. And, and I said, mate, Ange would be just clever to go get Matty Ryan as his first signing because the way Ange wants to play, Matty suits perfectly. But financially, I don't know if Celtic can afford that. Maury, have, has uh, the uh, hoo-ha about Ange's appointment died down yet in Scotland, or is it still raging? No, no, it, it has. It's, it's died down. Um, I, I'm, I'm speaking to a lot of people, obviously, around about the Euros, and they're, they're all they're all intrigued. They're all asking me questions. You know, what about this? You know, Ange Postecoglou, what's he like? And um, mate, they're, they're they're starting to slowly. Um, to turn in terms of like, okay, this is this is somebody that's maybe outside of the the box for us, um, but he's he's a he's a good coach. So the reports are coming through a good. He's got a good pedigree. He's a winner. He's a motivator. Um, you come to Glasgow, you've got to win football matches, and it starts early with a Champions League qualifier. That's how that's how he would be judged. But I think Ange will do well. And that uh, qualifier is against Michelin, of course, where he'll come up against a certain. Our mobile, which is interesting. Uh, one final one, Spider, this one for you. Uh, Alan Stajic has left the Central Coast Mariners this week saying he wants a new challenge. Sounds to me like there's been an issue. When he finished third at a club that wasn't expected to do so and then leave at the end of the season. Yeah, well, he's basically seen uh, where Central Coast Mariners stand. He actually would have went in. And we all know he's done a fantastic job, but you can't rest on your laurels. He knows he has to reinvest and recruit players to be another... He, he wants to go further. He wants to go to second. He wants to go to first next year. And if he doesn't recruit, he can't go there. And he yeah. would have probably gone in and they would have said to him, there's no more money. And yeah. he's on a hiding to nothing if he stays. Because if he stays and other clubs around the country that weren't as successful this year and they recruit properly, Central Coast Mariners are going to finish outside the top six next year. And who's going to be blamed? Alan Stadjic. So he might as well leave and wait for a better opportunity. Yeah, I agree. Go on, Maury. I agree. I just think it's a very, very smart move. You know, I kind of think, I even think about a little bit, uh, Spides, when uh, I was at Brisbane and John Aloisi on the back of the season where uh, we were one point off a, uh, winning the league, we I think we uh, we drew down at Melbourne Victory to win the the minor championship. And looking back, that was the time that Johnny should have left Brisbane. Like sometimes mm. you you're better off going when your stock's high, rather than like you says. I mean, Central Coast Mariners, there's still a lot of issues behind the scenes. 
club's still up for sale. You're still going to be running at a, a shoestring budget. Alan Stadgic, he, he went in there and, and done an unbelievable job this season. This is a very smart move, I believe. Okay, uh, we'll see who gets the job at the Central Coast Mariners. Thanks for the moment, boys. We're going to head overseas and talk about the Euros. London calling. London calling. Go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's uh, talk about the European Championships. That's the big tournament that uh, is attracting an awful lot of attention around the globe at the moment. Uh, it happened a couple of days ago, boys, but uh, England nil, Scotland nil. Uh, the headlines screaming England in crisis. I'm not sure that's that's fair after four points from the first six. However, uh, it was disappointing by England, but the Scots, Maury, very resolute. Uh, and in particular, a performance by a young player called Billy Gilmore caught the eye. Yeah. Yeah, um, I actually think, Simon, take the possession uh, in terms of the possession stats. Scotland were a better side. Scotland had the better opportunities in this match. Um, Billy Gilmore, who doesn't play week to week um, at Chelsea, but look look who he's behind. When you see Conte, main, main man for, for France, you look at Jorginho, um, starring for Italy. This young boy, 20-year-old, for his first international start, uh, his international debut, starting debut, was incredible. Um, mm. He's an unbelievable talent. But I, I also felt that Kieran Tierney coming back into the side um, was huge because being in the back three, he, he travels with the ball into, into the midfield. He's a winner, he's a competitor, but it gave Scotland an opportunity to have more possession in the middle of the park. Shay Adams also supporting Lyndon Dykes who done very well. Lyndon Dykes done very well in this match, but I think that he would have felt so much better having someone closer to him so that it wasn't just him alone that had to occupy the back four. I think Shay Adams is a, is a great player, but it was a wonderful performance for England, Simon. Um, I think the biggest, the, the biggest news there was Harry Kane coming off as a captain. And the speculation now is that um, the transfer rumours that swirling around his head are affecting him and maybe he should be dropped for the next game. He's not going to be dropped for the next game. No Gareth Southgate has said that. Um, but this is the hype that England have to deal with all the time, isn't it? You know, one, and I was going to say poor results, and it's not even really a poor result. They didn't lose the game. Um, and they're in a very good position to qualify, but uh, uh, there's such intense scrutiny on the big nations uh, in football. Um, must, be, yeah. must be hard to live with as a player, Spider. 
But but you know what? Like it, it, it bemuses me. You know, it was the second game, so England knows a point and they qualified. Mate, it's a tournament. It's tournament football. A point, you're qualified. Move on to the third game. England has an unbelievable squad. So Harry Kane comes off. Rashford comes on. Mate, yeah. uh, what's his name? Uh, the winger comes off. Grealish comes on. Mate, that's that's their job. That's that's what squad players do. Someone can start this week. The other one can be on the bench. There's a lot of matches in short time. And by the way, these players have played a shitload of matches all year. Mm. Yeah, Spider, am I, uh, Simon, am I a little bit crazy in thinking like Scotland, 23 years, uh, obviously since their last major competition. Socceroos, when we went to the 2006 World Cup, Spider, 32 years. Last yeah. game of the group, Croatia, yeah. 2006. <laughs> Scotland, last yeah. game of the group, Croatia. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And my heartstrings are, to be fair, like I said, it's quite emotional about the Scottish team because I spent a long time here. So, yeah. I hope they do well. It's a big match. Um, and as you touched on with Croatia, Spider, they've been a little bit toothless. So it's yep. a big opportunity. But what about the crowd, Maury? What's, uh, what's the crowd situation? Can the, How many can the Scots get in the hand? 12,000, I think. Mm-hmm. It's been That'll help. That'll help. But by the way, what about their supporters in London? How funny were they? <laughs> Are they at a ball, mate? They always less than do. 3,000 tickets, less than 3,000 tickets, and there must have been about 30,000 of them down there. <laughs> that's that's always the case when the Scots uh, come down to London. They, they absolutely take over. Um, let's move away from uh, uh, England and Scotland. Uh, Spain. What's going on with the Spanish? They failed to win either of their opening two games. Their latest uh, match, they drew 1-1 with Poland. They haven't won... Uh, either match the first two opening games at the Euros for the first time since 1996, which is extraordinary for a team that was, you know, world champions and European champions, so dominant for so long. Uh, and that means it's now all on that final game against Slovakia in the in the final group game. Is there an issue with with the Spanish team? I know that Luis Enrique has, has come under fire for not selecting Sergio Ramos and one or two others. They're in a rebuilding phase. Yeah. Look, uh, it's so difficult when you're when you're so successful for so long. As soon as you don't have success, it's a failure. But they're in a rebuilding phase. It's as simple as that. And they're still playing good football. They're still yeah. creating chances. Uh, they, they're just not going in. They're not losing. They're, they've drawn two matches, which can happen in tournament football. And you know what? They played Slovakia last game. Won't be easy because there's no inter- international match that's easy. But if yeah. they win, they go through with five points. We'll see what happens. Um, the Germans, uh, Maury, everybody was writing them off. Uh, uh, I was one of them. Including us. Defeats, including us. Including us. <laughs> and what do, they, what do they do? They go and smash the reigning champions, Portugal, uh, by four goals to two. And, yeah, after, after going behind and... I had, I, look, I, I felt Portugal could do something in this match and they got off to the right start. But I tell you what, it was an absolute brilliant performance from the Germans. It was one that I, I didn't see coming, if I'm being honest. Um, they, they destroyed Portugal in the wider areas. The wingbacks, um, so much space and, and, and were so influential in this game. Um, it's probably the best. It's been the best game, I think, of the tournament so far as well. It was a great game. Um, you know, Portugal, like I said, started well, but a little bit more, you know, counter-attacking. But the, the Germans were brilliant, I thought. 
never yeah. ever write off the Germans at a major <laughs> tournament, particularly with Yogi Lowe, of course, uh, calling it a day after this tournament, after 15 years in charge of the national team. Um, if that was the best game of the Euros so far, I don't think uh, anybody would have too many doubts about the best atmosphere of the final so far. That was in Budapest. Uh, 60,000 watching Hungary draw one all with France and the noise when Attilo Fiola uh, opened the scoring for Hungary was uh, phenomenal. Um, but again, France showing their resilience. Spider Antoine Griezmann getting them uh, a point, which should be enough to see them through to the next phase in that group of death. You know what? It's unbelievable. I, I was pumped when I seen a full stadium for a football match. There was Denmark played in a full stadium and now this game. And the rumours are, Simon, is that they're going to move the final to Budapest. Good. <laughs> so be terrific. Look, uh, it was a three o'clock kickoff. It was stinking hot. <laughs> Hungary played out of their skins, out of their yes. skins. Uh, and France had to be resilient and showed the quality they got. And again, they got the point. They've qualified. They got four points. They're through to the next phase. Tournament football. French doing what French do. Getting by and getting to the next round. Um, only three nations have 100% of winning records so far at the Euros. Um, they being Belgium, the Netherlands and Italy. Uh, who defeated Wales by a goal to nil. In fact, Wales go through as well in second place uh, by a very narrow squeak on goal difference after Switzerland could only beat Turkey 3-1. But again, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Maury, about uh, the, the Italians. Um, not many people fancy them at the start of this tournament, but they're now 30 games unbeaten. That's extraordinary at international level. Ah, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's incredible. And Spider will know more about this team, but I mean, they made eight changes today, Simon. Hmm. Eight, yeah. eight changes. Uh, I mean, eventually Wales um, get get a man sent off, but look, it didn't matter. Like Italy have just been uh, a joy to watch, and the type of football spider that, that Italy play now is, is is incredible. You know, the days of one nil um, and and the handbrake on and, and and bunker system, mate, it doesn't happen. It's like they're still pressing. They're they're still working hard from the from the very uh, top. Subs that are coming on are playing exactly the same way. They're looking for the second. They're looking for the third goal. They're going for the throat of their opponents. And, and that run of games, um, they're a live, I'm saying lively outsider. What I've seen so far, they're, they're actually not an outsider. They've got a great chance to, to go all the way in this tournament, Simon. Big chops. You, you, you know what's incredible? Like, you know, we spoke about it the other week and I said Italy. I fancied Italy to win the tournament. And I fancied France to win the tournament. What annoys me? Because I played in Italy and us in Australia, we actually don't respect other leagues. But these guys are bloody very good players. They play at top teams. They come from a footballing culture where scrutiny is everything. Mate, detail is everything. And you think the Italians are going to go into a tournament after missing out on the World Cup, not being prepared? Mate, you guys are kidding yourselves. These guys are are all at such an unbelievable age. And Mancini has brought this team together. They work, they run, they fight, they scratch, and they can play football. Yeah. They are certainly worth watching at uh, these Euros, the Italians. Um, last one, boys, just away from the Euros for the moment. Um, and we've mentioned his name already in this podcast. Uh, Sergio Ramos, Mori, leaving Real Madrid after 16 years, four Champions League winners' medals, 
uh, all over a row over the length of a contract. He wanted two years. Real offered one. Uh, he stalled before finally accepting that deal. And yeah. Real said, too late. It's off the table. Interesting way to treat a guy that's been there for so long. In fact, a play that's in many ways been synonymous with their success over the last decade and a half. Yeah, no, look, it's a very, very strange scenario. I mean, what we're missing, I, I, I do not know. But uh, Sergio Ramos's like response to say, I didn't realise that the offer had a, had a, a time frame. Um, it's expired. No, yeah, it's expired. I mean, you know, 16 seasons, um, you know, how successful he's been at that football club, the role that he's played at, at that football club to continue to, um, you know, I guess push that club in the best light, always playing um, at the top level, the highest level competition. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's sad. Um, but like I says, you know, players, uh, coaches, uh, you know, we all move on at some stage, but Sergio Ramos's impact um, as a player at that football club um, has been phenomenal. And I'm sure somebody else will, um, you know, get the services, whether it be for another year or two. If he, you know, he was looking at a two-year contract at Real Madrid. And when you see the pictures on him, he doesn't look too bad. Yeah. He's still in great order. Slides, <laughs> <laughs> he's still in great order, yeah? Mate, mate big chops. What a player he is. Uh, mate, wherever he goes, he's going to be a massive asset. He's where, still a where great will he go, player, Spire? Where will he go? Will he, will he go to the Premier League? Will he go to Serie A? Who can afford him? Well, the big clubs. Man, Man City. <laughs> Man City can afford him. Uh, you look at Thiago. Thiago goes PSG. to Chelsea from PS, PSG to Chelsea at 30. Thiago's 36 years old. Yeah, yeah. 36. Yeah, he was on a free um, transfer as well, wasn't he? So He was, and then he's, he's extended another year at Chelsea. So, look, the Premiership can definitely afford him, Simon. Hmm. Interesting times. Thanks, uh, guys, for the moment. Uh, we're going to head into our final segment today, and we've got another great guest waiting for us in Footballers' Lives. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Sydney in 1976. He began his career with Marconi Stallions in the NSL and was a part of the squad that won the title in his first season in 1992-93. In 95, he joined Turkish giants Galatasaray and would stay seven seasons, even though he only featured periodically for Gala. In the intervening period, he would spend a lot of time out on loan at Antalya Spor, Bursa Spor, Karabuk Spor and Nîmes in France. In 2002, he finally left Gala to join Gaziantep Spor. Then after a spell with Mersin Idman Yurdu, he came back home to join Sydney FC. Further spells at Avispa Fukuoka in Japan. And finally, the North Queensland Fury rounded out his playing career. He's since gone on to become a coach, assisting Steve Corica at Sydney. And of course, he's now the top man at Wellington Phoenix. He is Ufuk Tale. Welcome, Ufi. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Great to have you on the show. Um, let's just run a little bit through your life. Uh, you grew up, of course, in a Turkish uh, family heritage. Was football always your passion? Who did you support and who were your idols as a kid? Uh, I always uh, loved football. My, my, I think my father really loved the game as well, uh, even though he only played at an amateur level. Uh, I started playing when I was six. Uh, and just continued on through there. And, you know, there was a lot of input from my, my family, especially uh, my father as well. 
and a lot of time and effort that he put into me to to get me to my point of my career where I become pre uh, professional at the end of the day. So for me, when I look back, and I'll always say this, even if I if I carried my old man on my back for a hundred years, I probably still wouldn't be able to pay him back. Did you have a team that you supported? Yeah, when I was a kid, I, uh, I don't know if I really want to say this, but uh, my, my old man, uh, he loved Besiktas. So Ooh. as a kid, you know, you're, you're sometimes you're pushed into uh, supporting a team that your 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 parents or your family supports. But uh, look, obviously going to Galatasaray and uh, playing for a big club like that, and then, you know, you, you shifts pretty quickly. Um, those early days with Marconi Stallions, how much do you remember about that title-winning season in 1993? I think you were an unused sub in, in the grand final against Adelaide City. Is that correct? No, no, I came on. No? I came, you came on. There you go. Yeah, come on, Simon. I still hold the record of youngest uh, player. <laughs> Sorry, your feet. So, uh, yeah, I think I was uh, 17 and, and 52 days or something like that. So, no, I came on in that game. And for me, it was a great experience under, under Frank Arrock, uh, you know, and very fortunate that, he loved the young players and gave us opportunities back then. And, and, and hopefully we didn't let him down in the sense of doing a job out on the park as well. So for me, it was a great experience to play with some really, really good players. You know, JP, Dutchy, Harps, all those guys were, were there. Bimby, you know, so we, we had a very, very good side. And I broke into that squad very late into the season and was fortunate enough to uh, win a title. Would you say Frank Arrock was, was your biggest influence? And is there a, an element of him in, in your coaching today? Yeah, look, I think you take a lot from the coach that you work with as a player. You know, you, you, you look at the things that, that, they, that they've done and he was a big, obviously, uh, a big influence in my career. He was the first uh, coach that gave me the opportunity at that level. So, you know, I've had some very good experiences with Frank. Uh, he, was a, he was a very uh, great character, a very passionate man about the game and, and it was very passionate about me because I've had some good run-ins with him as I was coming through at the same time. Because uh, I was 16 when I made my debut. And then school went a little bit haywire for me because I was focusing more on the football. And I think uh, he got a call from school one day saying that uh, I was turning up to classes. Uh, and he called me into the office and uh, we sat down and had a chat. And, and, he, and I remember this because uh, he said to me, he goes, I made you. He goes, I can break you. So he goes, make sure so, no, nah, so he, he's had a great influence. Like I said, he's the one that gave my first opportunity that opened up the door for me to have a professional career. Um, and that professional career uh, continued in Europe with this huge move to Galatasaray. How did that switch to Istanbul come about? Because Graham Sunis was the coach at the time? Yeah, Graham Sunis was a coach at the time. Uh, I went overseas to, uh, to they were in, uh, doing a pre-season camp in Germany. So I join them there they had an idea of me the season before um but wasn't able to go that that year before so went over there joined the group uh played a few games for them uh in pre-season and then flew back to uh turkey and they wanted to uh to sign me and you were playing alongside some incredible players including Gheorghe Hadji. Yes. how good was he uh, he's, he's top top player top uh top person uh you know for me what he's achieved in the game is unbelievable. And, it, and you learn off those players. Like he was probably coming toward the back end of his career, whereas I was at the start of my career. So you, you learn a lot of, of these players that have, have, have uh, achieved so much in the game. Um, Sunas also, of course, brought in a, a lot of British players during his time there. Dean Saunders, Barry Venison, Mike Marsh, uh, Dalian Atkinson, Brad Friedle, the American 
was there as well. He played for a long time in the Premier League. How did they all fit into the culture and how did how did the team all gel with with those different sort of backgrounds? Yeah, they, they, I think uh, I think football is football wherever you go at the end of the day. Uh, I think uh, players adjust very quickly to the environment that they're in. Uh, Mike didn't last long. I think he was there for a short time and then went back. Uh, so Dean Saunders was, is a great character as well. Uh, can score a goal, by the way. Uh, quality player. And I think uh, Barry played, was a little bit in and out uh, that season. Uh, as he was a little bit older at that time. And Brad Brad did a fantastic job uh, coming from there. The only problem with, I think, Brad was he, they had too many uh, international games where he had to go back and forth for. So that's when he ended up, I think, making the move over to England. So, you know, that, that's for me, it's it's a, it's like a dream. You get to go overseas, play for a big club, and, and you get all these quality uh, professionals around you that help you grow and, and make your game better. And, and also some incredible Turkish players as well, Hakan Sukor. Arguably one of the greatest Turkish strikers that, that ever lived. Um, did you get to play in the big Istanbul derbies against the likes of Fenerbahce and your childhood club, Besiktas? <laughs> yeah, look, for, for me, the first year was great. We won the Turkish Cup. Uh, I don't know if you know the, the history when uh, Graham Sooners put the uh, Galatas red yes. flag down in the middle of uh, Fenerbahce Stadium when uh, all the fans started to go berserk and, and uh, we weren't able even able to. Uh, pick up the trophy because all the coins and stuff that were flying down the bottles that were flying down uh, after the game, the ceremony. So yeah, we got to play some uh, really big derbies. We used to take the old bus down to, uh, to, uh, to Fenerbahce stadium because it used to get pelted with rocks. So they didn't want the new bus to get damaged. So we'd always take the old bus down there. What was that like that, that day when Sunes planted the flag, uh, which was a hugely provocative act um, where, where the players scared of, of what might happen? I mean, what, just paint the picture for us. I, I presume you're sort of locked in the dressing room and protected by security. Yeah, look, uh, it's you're, you're surrounded by uh, police with a lot of shields um, trying to protect you to come up and get your medal for the uh, for the, <laughs> for the award ceremony. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit chaotic. So you, you tend to try to stay in the middle of the field where it's the furthest point away from all the fans. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, look, that was a great experience for me. That was the first time that, well, that was my first season there and, and to, to see all that type of stuff and the rivalry and the passion for the game is, is unbelievable. Um, Graham Sooners then left and Fatih Terim took over. Is it fair to say he didn't rate you because that was sort of the beginning of your struggles at, uh, at Gala? It wasn't. It wasn't more rates. I, I obviously he came in uh, and then we went away for pre-season. Uh, then me being only 20 or 21 at the time, I feel that I needed game time. Uh, just being part of the squad was not enough for me because if I was at the back end of my career and, and playing for a big club, you might go, you know what, I'm happy to stay here. But I was at the stage where I think game time was more important to me. So I actually asked for, for me to be able to go on loan to get, get game time, and which they allowed, which was great for me because the more game time I got, the better, the better, better it was for me and the better exposure I get and the more, obviously, experience you get from playing games. So uh, the first year I went on loan, I think the second year I went on loan and I had a really, really top season at Karabuk Sport that year. Uh, 
and then I had actually had some really decent offers to uh, actually leave the club, but uh, they wouldn't let me go. So, um, you know, I had the chat with uh, Fatih Terim. He told us we're playing in the Champions League. We're playing in the, obviously, the normal Turkish competition. And we had the, uh, the cup as well. So it's one of those ones where timing is very important in football. Uh, after having a great season, I could have gone to maybe even bigger and better things. But I had another year left on my contract. So I was stuck there. You look at your CV now, and there's all these uh, periods of loans at four or five different clubs. Was was that a frustrating period? Were you still sort of hell-bent on getting you, your first-team spot at Galatasaray, or were you enjoying the experience of moving around to different clubs? I think you know, it was a bit of both. I think enjoying the experience of, of the challenge of going to another club on loan. Uh, I think players always, at the end of the day, want to go somewhere where they're going to play. And I think that was important to me being young at that time to to go on loan. Uh, I always look back and go, you know, going to Galatasaray at a young age, was it a, a big step up too quickly? Was it better for me to go to a, a, a mid-table team and then work my way there? But obviously things happen for a reason, so I ended up there uh, at the end of the day. But for me, like I said, for, the most important was, uh, was game time. You need a mm. game time. You need game time. You need the experience. Uh, you know, training is great. Playing for a big club is great. But if you're not playing, for me, the most important thing was getting game time. Um, one of those seasons on loan uh, was to France. You went and played for Nîmes. Uh, I think you got to the semi-finals of the French Cup as well under Dominique Batonet, who I remember being old enough to remember the 70s, uh, playing for Saint-Étienne in, in the great European Cup ties against uh, Liverpool, but you actually got relegated as well from from League Two. How was that experience? For you? There's not many Aussies going play in France. Yeah, it was. Uh, to be honest, that's when I ended up getting out of my contract at uh, Galatasaray and, and going to uh, to France. So yeah, it was a great experience uh, playing in France. Uh, he, he was a great coach. Didn't speak a word of English, by the way, which was great. But the goalkeeper coach, uh, he was the one that did the translating for me. So I didn't get really too many uh, remarks after the game besides Ulfi, uh, very good. And that was it from the coach. <laughs> so, no, for me, I had a great time in France. And that, for me, that was a move to go and get game time. And at the same time, I was becoming a free agent at the end of that season. And that uh, free agency um, led to you coming back home to Australia in 2005. Um, you signed for Sydney FC. Was part of the reason because you wanted to get that Australian cap, which, of course, as we now know, never actually eventuated. Yeah, look, uh, the funny thing is I had a lot of uh, discussions with Frank back in the day when I was uh, overseas in Turkey. So it never eventuated for whatever reasons at, uh, at the end of the day. Uh, for me, I think the biggest uh, thing was the family coming back to Australia. I've been away for close to 10 years in, uh, in Europe. And I think... Uh, I think it was a decision to to bring the family back as my my missus's family is back in Australia as well. So it was just to get closer closer to family. Is that something that grates with you, Offie, that you didn't play for Australia? I think many people say you're one of the finest players never to have won a full cap. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, uh, it's disappointing uh, that I didn't uh, play at the highest level for my country. But uh, at the end of the day, I still got to represent my country at youth level. So we'll just uh, take that. It's not bad. Um, you also won the A-League, of course, in that first season, uh, playing alongside your old mate from the Marconi days, uh, Steve Corica and a certain uh, Dwight York. That must have been uh, one of the highlights of your career. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great season. Uh, it was one that was, you know, we had some, some very experienced players that 
they they brought back and some some familiar faces that I've played with previously, and you know to win to win the uh, the competition in the inaugural season uh, is was was a massive thing. Unfortunately for me, I was injured towards the back end of that season, so I missed uh, most of those semi-finals and finals. But uh, look, uh, having players like uh, Dwight come back and, and the quality that that he brought to to the field and even off the field with uh, was Dwight was very important for the A League. Give us a Dwight York story. Come on, Alfie. <laughs> Not too many stories with Dwight, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> he, he was a single man. I'm a married man, so we lead two different lives, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's very diplomatic. Um, unfortunately for, for Sydney, that team started to break up a little bit, didn't it? In in year two, there were issues with the salary cap and uh, Pierre Litbarski uh, didn't renew his deal for whatever reason. He went off to Japan to coach uh, Vispa Fukuoka and uh, a few... And you Sydney boys, including Mark Rudin, uh, ended up following him. Yeah, it was a great, great experience. Japan, look, to be honest, I was, what, 32, 33 when I went to uh, Japan. Um, it was one of those ones where I could have stayed in the comfort of staying in Australia and continue with Sydney. Uh, but I also thought, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to get a gig in Japan. And at the same time, this opportunity may, may never come again. So, you know, speaking with the family, we thought, you know what, let's, let's go for the adventure and, and, and try our luck and go to Japan and, and see how it goes. And I think I had, uh, at the age of 33, I played, I think it was 38 games out of the 42 in the J2 and uh, ended up scoring five goals. I never scored five goals uh, in my whole career in one season. So, you know, a very enjoyable season, a challenging season at the same time, but it was, it was, we were lucky in the sense like... Uh, I was there, Mark was there. We had Joel Griffiths over for a certain amount of time as well. So, you know, we bounced off each other. But for me, it was uh, a very enjoyable season. So the, fam- the family enjoyed Japan. How did they find Townsville with the Fury? Hot. Very hot. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Townsville, Townsville, I think, I think the, when, when, the, when you go to, as a footballer, the, the smaller cities that you go to, I think there's more closeness with, uh, with players and, and wives. I think the biggest cities, I think everyone's a little bit more distant to each other. So we had a, a very close-knit group uh, in, in Townsville, although the, the results weren't as uh, close close as we wanted them to be. But, uh, you know, we had a very good group of players and, and I think all the wives get along. And I think that's very uh, important football when that happens. That's sort of dealt with your, your playing career. Was it always your ambition throughout your, your playing days to become a coach? Were you looking towards that throughout your career? Yeah, I, I, look, this is the only thing I know and this is the only thing I think I do half decent, Simon. So, uh, you know, uh, I love football. Uh, the game has given a lot to me uh, at the end of the day. And I think by coaching at the same time, I've tried to give back to not just the, the senior players, obviously they're professionals, but there's also younger players that we try to push through, even at Wellington Phoenix, where, you know, I've, I've looked at, we look at players where I haven't tried to uh, recycle and bring in the same players that have been at five different A-League clubs, you know, or try to think outside the box and, and give these youngsters an opportunities and help them to develop and, and then they can go off to bigger and better things, wherever that may be. Um, that's why I, I actually, I probably, I probably could have played another two more seasons, to be honest, if I wanted to continue in the A-League and found another club. But for me, uh, I wanted to go into the coaching side of things and that's probably why I'll I pulled, uh, I pulled the pin at the age of 35. Uh, you started your coaching career, of course, with Sydney as, as Steve Corica's number two uh, and enjoyed success. Uh, did you feel uh, at that point, after that initial season, that you were ready to go your own way when you got that opportunity with Wellington? Or did it come a little bit earlier than you expected, perhaps? 
No, it was one of those things. Well, it's just not just with uh, with CDFC. So obviously coaching down at the AIS for close to six mm. years, uh, working with the junior national team, 17s, and then then taking the uh, the under 20s as a head coach for the young Socceroos. So, you know, and the experience that you, I've had with going away with uh, the Socceroos and a lot of learnings, and a very, I've been very fortunate that I've been around very good uh, coaches and very good people uh, within the game that, that have, oh, like I said, you take a lot of things from the people that you work with uh, and if it suits you, whether you use it or not, it's up to you. But uh, uh, we, we just moved back to Sydney uh, that season uh, when I went back to uh, Sydney FC and then the opportunity came for for Wellington Phoenix and we, we made the decision uh, with my wife. Uh, obviously, she was pushing me too because I just brought the family back from Canberra to Sydney and now we're going to go to Wellington. And I thought, you know what, we just moved back. Do we just stay in Sydney? Because I still had another year on my on my deal back at Sydney. But, uh, you know, she, she's she been, you know, for me, she's my, she's my pillar for 25 years years and she's always pushed me in the right direction and she goes this is what you want to do so the opportunity is there you need to take it you've just had a, a very tough year with Wellington Phoenix because of the the COVID pandemic you didn't quite make the finals just how difficult was it to basically uproot an entire club from one country and plant it in another which of course was in Wollongong the, the hardest part was we 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 had to get on a flight and come over very quickly and we were probably a month behind where everyone else started in pre-season uh so we come in a little bit blind when we come into the facilities and, and what we're going to be able to use so for me well, the biggest one of the biggest things is your, your training field uh that's a very important part of of your daily routine and I don't think we had something that was what, what, what we didn't have back in Wellington, which didn't help. Uh, we didn't have the normal routine of the boys having their own change room and all that stuff. But I don't like making excuses at the end of the day. But the biggest thing for us, the hardest thing for us this season was not having a, having a reserve team. Because when players got injured, we had nowhere for them to actually get game time and come back in. So it was one of those ones where you didn't want to get injured because... If you get injured by and you're a regular starter, there was no way for us to get you back to 100%. And the only way we could do that was obviously play you in the A-League games where we're trying to win games at the same time and trying to get players fit and ready to go that to their maximum again. So that was probably the biggest challenge for us this season. Towards the back end of the season, of course, you did manage to get back to New Zealand, play a couple of home games, and the crowds responded magnificently. Uh, the two, I think, biggest crowds of the regular A-League season in Wellington and Auckland. Did that sort of convince you to sign on for the long-term project? Because there was a little bit of speculation that you might uh, return to Australia in a, a coaching role at various places. Yeah, look... Uh... You know, we there was there was a bit of speculation. There was obviously a lot of uh, things thrown around. But uh, for me, you know, I, I try to look at it where this this club gave me my uh, first opportunity um, at the start of last season. We probably didn't get the results that we wanted to get in the first four or five rounds. Uh, but the the board and Rob Morrison, our owner, has believed in me and has get, gave me the opportunity and and stuck by me during those times as well. And you know, things things change to to the better at the end of the day. So, for me, we, we, at the end of the day, I'd rather go and I'd rather have stayed at Wellington, which I have done anyway, and have longevity and try to build something rather than try to uh, jump on the next thing straight away. 
Okay, uh, that leads us on to some uh, Twitter questions. And in fact, uh, this first one is from uh, a uh, listener on Facebook, Josh Eben or Eben Watson. Uh, and it is our question of the week, $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher coming to you, Josh, for this question. And he says, your, your recruitment of fee has been spot on so far. What is your process to get players like Davila, Hamid, uh, Toma Hamid, I should say, uh, David Ball, etc.? Well, for me, Simon, we work in a, in a competition that has a salary cap. So... The visa players that we bring in, for me, are important. They have to be better than our local players. So there's no point of bringing in a visa player if he's not going to be better than, than the one that we have locally. One is we'll give a young kid a chance and, and see that and then maybe he might develop and come through. So the thing is, I think the biggest process for us is understanding the way that we want to play and you know the roles and responsibilities of each individual within the position. And then we look for those attributes that in that player that can play in that role. So, you know, we, we, do, we do a lot of homework. We rely on, on people in the game uh, like Spider. If Spiders maybe coach someone or work with someone and to, to hear, learn about their character, to make sure that we can't, I can't spend a million dollars on a player out of my cap and we get it wrong. Simple as that. Um, this one from Billy. Would you ever consider coaching in international football and especially the all-whites? <laughs> yeah look I don't know for me I just take it day by day and uh, I just want to do a good job at, at Wellington Phoenix for these next couple of seasons and what the future holds it holds okay uh, SEQ or Southeast Queensland I imagine Sky Blues uh, on Twitter what is it about playing for Sydney FC that makes ex-players such good coaches Uffy, Popper Corica, Rudin etc yeah I don't know I don't know I think it's um if you look at all those guys and the names that have been uh, thrown there, but uh, uh, have played at a decent level and, and a very good level within their playing careers. And, and I think a lot of hard work and grit goes into that. And I think it goes in the same with the coaching side of things. So, you know, our deter determination to be successful as a player, I think we have the same determination to be successful as a coach. And you put a lot of effort and hard work and, and do your homework and make sure you try to get things right. Just a couple more before Spider's uh, weekly question. Um, this one from John Aldinho. How aggressively did Melbourne Victory pursue you to replace Grant Brebner? <laughs> oh, look, I'm going to be honest with you. So was there discussions? Yeah, there were discussions at the end of the day. So, you know, that's, that's part of the game. Uh, I was a coach that was coming off contracts. So, you know, a uh, club's always going to do do what's best for them and but i'm not going to lie to you there were discussions okay interesting uh and this one from Ange postacoglu facts have you been watching the euros and if so who's caught your eye tactically honestly not turkey <laughs> i lost again seriously but yeah. uh i haven't uh since i've had this little uh operation mate i've been sleeping for the last four days mate so i haven't watched anything on the euros right but, I'm, but what I'm hearing that Italy's playing some uh, some really good football. So uh, I mean, I'm hearing that a lot of teams. I don't know if, if I'm right or not, but Spider, there are a lot of teams uh, setting a little bit more defensive defensively than normal, mate. Is that correct? Yeah, but you know why, Alfie? Because mate, it's it's warm, it's warm, so you can't play this high brand like the nine o'clock games at night. They can be more offensive because they can repeat the sprints and that. But the three o'clock games. 
Like, seriously, they, they're being dead matches because it's just too hot. So they set themselves up. Mate, they wait for the odd chance. Don't concede. And if you score from the odd chance, mate, that, that's it. So no but the, 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 so different to the A-League then? No, that's it, mate. <laughs> set up defensively and go on. Go on the, the counter-attack. But you know what, Ulfie, you know what the funny thing is, right? We, we, we talk about it. You're a coach now, mate. You've been in the game a long time. The game actually changes. It evolves. So there's, there's periods of time where we say, okay, we've got to play 4-3-3. Everyone's got to attack. And then there's times where they say, oh, now, you know, Chelsea come up, Conte come up with this three at the back, and now everyone wants to play three at the back. You've got to play with the cattle that you got that suits your team. That's right. The formation, the formation is 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 set by the players. Formation is just the, for me is just a starting point. Uh, the 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 best thing like for me was even last year when I came in, I only had seven players signed. It was like a, a clean slate where I had an mm. idea. I have an idea of what the game looks like to me and the way that I want to play the game. And so it makes it easier then to bring in players with those attributes to be able to play that game, which set up your formation. You know what I mean? Yeah. The formation is great, and and but, but once the ball moves, players move, opposition move, everyone moves. You know, there's a starting, yeah. but you, you can't. Everyone wants to play like Barcelona, but to play like Barcelona, you need Messi in your team. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we don't yeah. have, unfortunately. So we might do certain parts of what Barcelona do, but not everything that Barcelona does. Yeah, correct. Um, Uffi, I think that's just about it. We've gone through a whole uh, range of questions. Um, all that remains is for us to say thank you for joining us today and to wish you all the very best of luck with uh, the Wellington Phoenix next season. Let's hope next year is a little less complicated and you can actually play your home games in New Zealand. Um, but Spider gets the final word with his final question. Go. Mate, I'm looking forward to this because I know he's played at some <laughs> unbelievable stadiums. But you know what? You've got to tell us the best stadium you've played at, Ulfie, but the one that I'm interested in is the biggest dungeon you've played at. The biggest dungeon? <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, for, for me, I think the best stadium that I've played at uh, would have been the old Galatasaray Stadium before they knocked it down, mate. Because, the stadium of hell. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the old Ali, 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 Ali Samien is the, is the stadium. And, and that was, I reckon could hold maybe 24,000, but I think they could squeeze in a good 32, I reckon, in there. If, if, if enough. So, you know, that was that was when the stadium was was really rocking and, and, and you know, full capacity. So, for me, that was a, a, a very tough stadium for opposition to come to. And the dungeon? And the dungeon? Which one is the dungeon? Which one are you talking about, the dungeon? I'm trying to work out. The worst the, ground, the, worst ground. the biggest Kazi hole you've been to. Oh, the worst, the worst one. Wow. Wow, the worst ones, I don't know, to be honest. Worst one is probably uh, where we've gone to Eastern Turkey and uh, you're playing a team that's uh, fighting for relegation and they probably might tip some diesel into your change room and you can't get him in. <laughs> <laughs> Any home ground advantage matters, Ulfi, you know that. Yeah, well, especially especially when, it, you know how it is when teams are fighting for relegation in Europe, mate, they do everything possible to put you off your game. Brilliant. Yeah. Just the way it should be. Hey, Ophelia, <laughs> thanks so much again for your time. All right, uh, brilliant stuff. That's Ophelia. Right. Uh, and yeah, that is us for this week. Join us next week for our final show of the season. Until then, bye for now.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.